Hello Victoria, how are you? Hi. I'm Ben Ando and I'm a former BBC journalist, former crime correspondent and now I'm sitting at home doing podcasts. And trillions of other things by the sound of things. My fingers are in a few other pies. Aren't they always? And that's what you're doing here. Uh... I'm Victoria Mitzi. I'm also a journalist of the BBC description. I have worked in commercial stations as well. So have you, Ben? Yes, I have. I've, yeah, I, I love my time at independent local radio. It's fantastic. Great days. Great and we days. wouldn't be where we are today. Uh, what else do I do? I podcast. You, do, do, you don't mention your podcasting, Ben. I literally said I'm podcasting. Oh, I did, did you? Say that. Yeah. You don't even I'm listen. All... You don't, not only do you not <laughs> let me finish, you don't even listen to what I'm saying before you interrupt. <laughs> I'm sorry, what did you say your name was again? Pardon? <laughs> okay, well, it takes on to no one. <laughs> I also am a domestic goddess and oh, I curtain twitch. Oh, sorry, I'm a true crime enthusiast. That's another way of saying it. You are a curtain twitcher. I know you're always nosying on your neighbours. I also love to exercise. Yes, you do. I've just been doing some squat thrusts, if anyone's interested. No one's interested in that. Have you? been doing some squat thrusts any exercise i've been cycling i mean i I'm, i should do more exercise than i do but i've been cycling during the lockdown um i don't like running i like going to the gym but of course gyms are closed at the moment well it doesn't stop you from doing stuff at home but um i'm sure your home life incorporates a lot of activity boom boom <laughs> like you getting out of your chair occasionally i get out of my chair um i have to go upstairs sometimes so to have a nap so i've got enough energy for my what, main with the snooze I have to get upstairs sometimes to go to, for a nap so that I've got enough energy for my main evening snooze. <laughs> Did you hear what I just said? No, go on. With the Stenner. <laughs> Stenner stair lift. I don't have a Stenner stair lift. I'm, I mean, I'm old, but I'm not that old. Not yet, anyway. I will be one day. Yeah, well, it has recently been Father's Day, so happy Father's Day. Thank All you. fathers. Well, <laughs> Didn't and mean me you. Oh, especially me. <laughs> All of you are special. <laughs> <laughs> not deadbeat dad of the year although i've got to say like going on about dad's day and stuff like that made me think i think i want a bit of congratulations what do you want congratulating for oh mothers and picking things up that's all we ever do <laughs> have you got a stoop yet from bending over i'm a stoopy <laughs> stupid no i realize as soon as i get home straight away i'm picking up paw patrol things that are sticking in my feet and like washing laying around i don't think fa fathers as much as i love you i don't think you notice as much all fathers do is step on the odd piece of lego and let out anguished cries yeah because i've also got this kind of trail of stuff along the stairs and i arrange it all from down because otherwise it just lays around and the house looks like it's been burgled so I have to collect all the toys, arrange them on, and every time I go up... Is there shit smeared on the walls? Well, I don't know what goes on in your house, Ben. Well, it's when burglars come, isn't it? Burglars always... Oh, yeah, they, they like do. to smear their shit on the walls. So like, do criminals, way. actually. Are the... Sorry, not that burglars aren't criminals, but I think they're lesser of criminals, aren't they? Are you saying they're sort of low-budget criminals? I'd prefer a shit-smearing burglar to a shit-smearing person who's just murdered me and possibly smearing their shit on me. <laughs> Where are you going with this? <laughs> I'm, I've been listening to too many true crime podcasts, haven't I? <laughs> Apparently so. No, there's a reason. Hang on, I'm not, I'm mm. not sure if murderers who smear their shit on their victim after they've murdered them, is that a thing? I, it is a I thing, in fact. And okay. some people listening to this will be knowing exactly what I'm talking about. Well, there's I a case that I've just... I couldn't... Do I, I keep doing do. this to myself. I couldn't actually sleep listening to this one, <laughs> right? He's called the Vampire of Sacramento, apparently. Okay. He's called Richard Trenton Chase. Okay. Richard Trenton Chase, something like that. And um, that... <laughs> okay, go to bed because I have to wake up at sort of 5.45 with someone poking me in the eye because I've got a three-year-old. Before that, I stay awake shivering with fear and fright and <laughs> from these cases. And he... Oh, brace yourself. Actually, if you're of a delicate disposition, if you've just... <laughs> we've just been talking about smearing shit, so it gets worse. This man... First of all, vampire, because he drinks the blood of all these people and animals that he's killing. But the other thing that he does is defecate. And he did that into the... It's American, so they were talking about a crib. He did that into a child's, a small child's bed when he Ooh. murdered the mother. And yeah, so it is a thing, really. I mean, it's a thing with him. 
That's a shocker. That case is a real shocker. Maybe we'll talk about it one day. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we, we do don't like do the sound of American that? stuff, but we could do some of that. Should we go into what's, what's going to happen today? It does segue onto Mark Williams Thomas. We've got a final part from him. And um, he talks in the second clip that we're going to play about Peter Tobin. His first wife was bleeding to death because of something really quite vile. And um, it'll be covered in the second part that he does to her. And it was only yeah. because the blood dripped through the ceiling and the neighbour alerted the authorities that she was saved. So blood does feature in this episode so i'm listening to mark williams thomas last night this is what i this is how i roll since i started all these shenanigans and um find breaking news all over any media that i can see which is a stabbing uh, in which we know now that uh, three people have died and and details are emerging yeah, I mean, you know, details are emerging and it's it's one of those things where it's absolutely horrific and when the news broke that there'd been this serious incident at a park in Reading, um, multiple stabbings. But I think here, what, you know, what we can talk about here is the, is this, the circumstances of this because, you know, we're coming out of lockdown. People are, are being told they can create these, you know, support bubbles, these social bubbles with other single people. People are starting to meet in parks for socially distanced events. And of course, it was the longest day. It was um, the summer solstice. Uh, I think a lot of people were, had gone out for a picnic and were just looking forward to an evening, relaxing in the park, maybe with a few cans, whatever, chilling. And suddenly, for somebody to start running around stabbing people who were sitting there just enjoying the evening must have been absolutely horrific and I think you know how how people reacted is fascinating though some people were saying they managed to get up and run straight away but I think some people were probably you have that sort of weird sense of people being a bit bemused not quite sure what's happening and I think sometimes people are so just don't want to seem like weird or odd so they don't necessarily run as quickly as they should do because they just don't want to sort of see if it's some kind of joke they misinterpreted or something and so yeah, you get all sorts of odd behaviour in these, you know, extreme circumstances, extreme extreme situations. And of course, what we do know is the police officer um, rugby tackled the suspect, showing, you know, amazing courage, as police officers often do uh, in the line of duty. Um, but yeah, I, I, th I think that, you know, how people responded and, and what actually happened is we've seen this time and time again that sometimes I think people... I think we all think that if there was a if we were subjected to a terror attack, we would respond instantly. We would run. We would do whatever we needed to do to get away. But sometimes I think when it really happens, you're a bit bemused and not quite sure you can believe what you're seeing. I think we've all been in a circumstance where something so amazing is happening that we're almost not quite sure we can believe what we're seeing. And I suspect this is one of those things that sort of slows people's reactions a little bit, and that can, of course, be deadly. And adrenaline fueled, and people don't know how they're going to react to those chemicals. Absolutely, and people react in different ways. Some people freeze, some people have immediate clarity of thought, yeah. some people um, just think of other people, some people just think of themselves and just push people aside. We saw that in the London Bridge attacks. Very much. Yeah, yeah, you know, the, those yeah. I've actually never heard as many accounts, but probably because the attack went on for so long over, I mean, so long in terms of this, because there were so many people around and the way that it was orchestrated and there were three attackers. Yeah. I can't believe that people actually picked up, you know, you're on a skateboard, you pick up your skateboard and, and defend people against somebody who has a machete. It's incredible. The acts of valour by average people, you know, you and me, were really, I thought that was noteworthy, not just the authorities. Yeah, I mean, and, and different people, this is the thing though, different people behave in different ways. For every person who heroically picks up, picks up a skateboard, there'll have been somebody else who pushed other everybody else aside so they could get away. Yeah, they don't mention um, them so much, do they? <laughs> no, we don't mention them because we don't want to celebrate their courageous or lack of courageous behaviour, but... On the other hand, you know, maybe self-preservation is a strong instinct and maybe some people have a stronger sense of self-preservation. Other people have a stronger sense of, of helping others and of, of doing duty or whatever. So I don't necessarily think you know how you will react until it actually happens. Will you be somebody who is able to think clearly or will you just freeze? Will you be somebody who wants to help other people and is courageous? Or will you think, oh my God, I don't want to die and just want to get yourself out of there as quickly as possible? Hard to know. 
Mm. And you never know really what, without training, what the right reaction is. Um, but nobody puts it better than Mark Williams Thomas in this piece of um, audio we're talking into now uh, from the interview that we did a little while ago. Um, as saying people do strange things. Yeah, I mean, and certainly, I mean, you know, we've been talking about uh, the McCanns, uh, Madeleine McCann case with uh, Mark Williams Thomas. And, and I think one of the things we were talking about was how for a lot of time there was suspicion on Kate and Jerry McCann, Madeleine's parents. And a lot of that suspicion was centred around them supposedly not behaving properly um, when their daughter was abducted. And, and this comes down to what we've just been talking about, how I don't think you ever really know how people are going to behave in, a, in an extreme situation until it happens. Mark says that he doesn't get as much reaction from any case as this one. So as soon as he mentions it, as we did, then his, his whole social media lights up and people start, you know, I'd also like to thank you if you have interacted with us about those interviews. A lot of light and shade. Yeah, I mean, there are lots of people who are critical of some of the things that uh, Mark Williams Thomas has said. And then that's fair enough. You know, we've all got different views. We've all got different opinions. I've been have quite a few tweets, quite a few emails, finding what he's saying really fascinating and interesting and insightful. Other people um, much less positive, it's fair to say, um, and saying, why, why haven't you asked about this? Why haven't you asked about that? And, yeah, I mean... I suppose what that illustrates more than anything is that this case is still one that divides opinion and it is still one where there is at the heart of it this mystery that even now, you know, two or three weeks after we learned about Christian Bruckner, still hasn't really been solved because as far as I'm aware, the German police haven't yet definitively said, yes, we know he did it. I mean, as Mark's mentioned, that they need to find some key piece of evidence and maybe they haven't yet found that evidence. Yes, he's a very strong suspect. Yes, we know he was in the right place at the right time and has the kind of background, the kind of record that suggests he's a strong candidate for this and, of course, supposedly confessed to a friend of his. But it seems that at the moment, possibly the evidence trail again has run cold. The reason I included just this chunk of Madeline, this last tiny piece, is because I, I thought it was really interesting. So just to put it in context for you, before we go on to some of your interactions, you being people listening to us, and thank you for doing so as well, we really appreciate it, is um, Mark actually turning the interview on us. So <laughs> that will also come. But just to put it in context... Um, Mark spoke about the hate groups that have sprung up against Madeline's parents, Kate and Jerry McCann. And as soon as these new findings came out, these people who uh, were in a Facebook group actually has started collecting funding for the suspect to sort of fight his corner. So that's where we pick up from in this clip. My theory is around evidence. So when I come up with a theory, it's based on evidence rather than opinion whereas of course there's an incredible amount of people who've got an opinion out there you know someone behaved in a certain way so, so one of the things that these anti people have got is that well jerry and kate must have been responsible because of their behavior afterwards you know they they, they washed the cuddle cat they played tennis they went out for a run they did this and they did that and i can tell you that when you are the victim of trauma, when you are the victim of something like that, your behavior is erratic. Your behavior, there's no common thread that runs through how to behave. We all behave differently. And it's not just in relation to this. You know, in, in each of your lives, Ben, Victoria, you will have critical moments in your life where your behavior would be different than perhaps it would be in another environment. And I, uh, and I make reference to Oscar. So Oscar Pistorius, I covered that case and, and know Oscar well. He's become a friend. And in terms of Oscar, people say to me, yeah, but I wouldn't do that. I'd get up and turn the light on and then I'd check to see if, if uh, Reva was in bed before I did something. And then you have to step back from there and go, okay, but put yourself in a situation where you are in your house, you're vulnerable because you are, uh, you, you're paraplegic, you, you don't have uh, two, an amputee, you don't have uh, two legs, so you have to put stumps on. So you're fairly vulnerable from that point. You're also subject to um, potentially individuals who have made threats to you anyway, you've had some of those, but you're also living in a country which has some of the highest crime rates of home evasions. So you've got all of that. 
And then in the middle of the night, you suddenly hear a noise. And what we're saying is, well, yes, but this is how I would react. And my response to that is, at the height of anxiety and pressure and stress, we don't know how we react. Because I can guarantee you, you could probably put 10 people in the same situation and play the whole scenario out and everyone would do something different. That's a subject for a podcast in itself. Absolutely. Yeah, fascinating, actually. Yeah. Um, I mean, I agree. I, I, I think you're right, Mark. I mean, people, you know, this idea that everybody will behave, this, behave the same way and that you can kind of write a script about how somebody should, you know, what, what is the rule book, what is the playbook for in the circumstance that your child is abducted, what are you supposed to do? It's a total nonsense to think that people will always react the same way. So absolutely, you know, you can't go judging people. Although, of course, people do, and we, you know, detectives actually do, you know, they'll look at how people behave as part of um, the evidence gathering that they will do. And we all do as as, as, as human beings as well. We, we look at each other, we watch each other, and, and sometimes we judge each other. We do, but we, we, we look at people's behaviour, don't we? I mean, I'm the first. I love sitting in a coffee shop window and making a judgment on everyone that's walked past. Uh, but, you know, I do, that, I do that for fun, you know. I, I, but that isn't the basis of my decision-making process for my investigations. I mean, look at John Charles de Menzies, the individual that was shot by the Metropolitan We were Police. just speaking about him. Okay. So, obviously, he is under surveillance um, by MI5. He then ends up walking down a road. Now, they are convinced that he is anti-surveillance savvy. He stops, looks in a window, does his shoelace up, and is fully aware that he's under surveillance. The reality of it is, is that he wasn't anti-surveillance in any way at all. He stopped and looked in a window. <laughs> that was it. There was no element to that. And I can tell you, having done surveillance courses, that if you walk around the high street, and I'm not suggesting you do this because when you get arrested, you'll say, Mark told me to do this. Yeah, I'm glad you but, said that to our listeners. But if, we've got perfect defence now. <laughs> <laughs> but if you walk around the high street and you watch people, when, part of the surveillance course that I did and that you do is basically pick a person, go into a high street and pick a person and follow them and see where they go and, and make sure that you follow them in your, in your team without being sighted. And it's an interesting thing to do because during the course of that follow, be, they will do strange things. And if you're not aware of the fact that you know, they, are, they have no knowledge in terms of counter surveillance, you could very well think that this person doing a behavior for a certain reason, we do strange things all the time. We don't think about it and it doesn't get picked up because we're not focused on it. But if you concentrate on someone's behavior, if you analyze someone's behavior, you are very easily in a position to turn around and say, that's not normal behavior, that's strange behavior. No, the human is strange. We do strange things. <laughs> ben, are you doing well, something strange that, right no, now? Real strange, real strange <laughs> around here. Do you I know what's, what's yes. really strange, Mark, is that Ben's been quiet for longer than ever no, on this well, podcast think... before. Well done. <laughs> yeah. I've been fascinated. found it absolutely fascinating. I talked to a number of people in jail. Jeremy Bamber, I write to regularly in jail. Uh, and you just mentioned Oscar Pistorius. Oscar. I talked to Oscar. Fascinating. Yeah. But there mm. are, you know, crime is fascinating. Crime dominates people. And so I tell you what I love doing. I, you have these surreal moments. So you look at a case... And you get a gut feeling and you think, do you know what? There's something wrong with this. I'm just, I'm unhappy with it. The, the level of the defence team was poor. The prosecution focused on the wrong points in terms of fairness and, 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 and evidence. And then I start looking at it and you start pulling it apart. You go right back to the beginning. You look at all the case files. You read everything. You put it down to one side and then you pick it up again in a week. And time is really good in terms of doing investigations. And then suddenly, you might be looking at something for six months, a year. And then suddenly, you read something or you see something. And it, it, it's a light bulb moment in your head. And you go, that is it. That changes the whole landscape. That changes the whole position in terms of this case. And I, a couple of weeks ago, I had one of those moments with this case where I, where I was looking at the pathology photographs and I was doing a, a mock-up in terms of how this person died. And 
I looked at the, the photographs and I, I compared it to something else and jumped, and I can't go into too much detail at the moment, but it jumped out at me and I thought, that is it. That is what it got. And you know, that is what drives me. And then I think, do you know what? I'm so excited about this now. I'm really excited to take it to the next level. And I hope that we'll be able to, to get that back to the Court of Appeal. I love these things. You know, I've got a case that's just been submitted to the Attorney General. So this young girl that was murdered by, uh, I think, Peter Tobin. Her body was dumped at Beachy Head and naked, hands tied with a bra. And the police determination was that it wasn't murder. How do you strip yourself naked and tie your hands behind your back with a bra? I don't know. Oh, and you lie in a bush. So the police determined that and the coroner agreed with them and said, well, yes, no evidence to support murder. I've now pulled together a, a brilliant team of a leading QC and a uh, barrister who is actually a sitting uh, coroner. And we've just submitted an application to the attorney general to have that case reopened. Also, we've asked as part of that, because it has to go back to the court of the, uh, yeah, it goes back to the High Court, in fact, to overturn the initial coroner's, coroner's verdict. And then what happens is that we're going to ask the coroner to exhume that body, its only bones, but to exhume that body with the hope that we can get some DNA from the skull and from the other bones that potentially we can then get onto the DNA database. That was never done because when the bones were put into the grave, they were prior to DNA being taken properly. They never did it. So just those little things, you know, even now, the police have given up. Police have given up. And I said to the family, do you know what? I'm going to do this with you. I'm going to pull together a team, no cost to you at all. And, I, and we're going to work to get this back to the Attorney General and get a new inquest for you and try and get a solution. They're 95 and 97, I think, is mum and dad. They've lived their whole adult, most of their adult life with their, their not knowing what's happened to their, their daughter. And I just hope that in their final years, even months maybe, I can give them some answers and I can get that verdict overturned. And that's what drives me. That's what makes me passionate is helping people. Those, the more difficult the case, the more I want to do it. Do you feel a sense of that with Madeleine McCann? Yeah, I mean, I've said, I said in my book, it's, un, it's unsolvable. And I do, I do believe it's unsolvable until one crucial piece of evidence comes forward, which I think will only come forward from another villain, another criminal to whom he's talked to about it. Uh, or you find her body, her body will give, him up, give her up. But there were so many mistakes in that case made. And there's always mistakes in every investigation. Listen, it's very easy for me to come along in the hindsight brigade and look at cases and say, well, you've got this wrong, or you've got this wrong. Um, and I'm not under the pressures that the senior investigating officers are when they conduct an investigation. They, they have a time scale. They have to get on with it. The pressures are, are considerable. The resources are considerable. But I can shed a light on it. And I always say to anybody, and often when I talk to senior investigating officers to whom I am perhaps being critical about the way they've done their investigation, I say, listen, I think we all have a duty to reflect on what we've done you know if i've done a case and i think i've missed something and someone comes along and says you've done that you know i'd have the i'd have the the balls to put my hand up and go brilliant you know justice justice is about getting it right in terms of fairness and uh, balance and if we get it wrong and the wrong person goes to jail then we need to correct that and i'm not a believer in any way at all is that if you don't have the evidence, you cannot make the evidence up. You cannot push the evidence in one way. It's down to us as investigators to get that evidence. And if it's not there, it's not there. We have to work harder. Your background helps a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think if I didn't have the policing background that I do and and the credibility, you know, and, and it, I suppose it's weird for me to say, oh, I've got my own credibility. But actually, you know, my background in policing, the stories that I've done, the access that I've done, you know, the Savile programme, the Oscar, the, you know, I, I, people will talk to me. They trust me, you know, and I look after people. Well, wasn't that interesting? Yeah, I mean, it'll be really fascinating to see how Mark gets on if uh, and when these cases do get to the Court of Appeal. And it may well be that there are people who he will be able to show are not guilty of crimes for which they have been convicted. But 
I think that's all a long way in the future, but certainly something that we could look at in a future podcast. Well, it's I think these characters outline- dresses are fascinating. They are fascinating, and also different people's reasoning behind, you know, obviously Mark Williams Thomas is an ex-cop, so that sort of gives you a good grounding. But also that there's some ethical motivation, I found that interesting, which leads on to other crimes such as a friendship with Oscar Pistorius, which I'd like to ask him more about, keep banging on about that. One of the miscarriages of justice that I most remember is the uh, the Bakewell Tart murder, which uh, we can talk about in a future podcast. And that that again was um, really I don't know this in case. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll leave that there, and we'll talk about it next time. Okay. We have so much stuff to talk about. It's yes, we have, and we've got to we've got to address some interactions because people have been really kind, and I want to thank everybody for listening to us because without you, we would be nothing. I've, I've always wanted to say that. Well, we'd be something, but we'd just be a bit less than what we are. Oh, God, you'd be all everything, you think. So, uh, yeah, so people interacting with us on Twitter, it's at YDLMFpodcast. You can email us, you didn't let me finish, podcast at gmail.com. You know, we are grateful to everybody who's interacted with us. Yeah, and telling Ben that he looks like a serial killer in his photos. Thanks Nobody a lot. said that until you said it. <laughs> that wasn't sarcastic, thanks a lot. Those brighten up my day. Somebody did yeah. say that. Ben doesn't always <laughs> notice everything. But then I'm guilty of that myself. Oh dear, Mitz admits failure. Uh, what Mitz did you spot? What, what were shocker. you talking about? Um, you just said was... you don't notice everything. And you're yeah, but there was some you're... interaction that you actually... There was one interaction that you noticed ever that I didn't see. <laughs> yeah, but it, yeah, but it happened. I'm clinging to the fact that the old man spotted something. But okay, I'm going back to my tirade, my flow of love towards Your listeners. Rant. My, my, no, it's a, for, for a change, it's not a rant. Um, it's saying <laughs> that people have been really nice about us, but you probably haven't seen the comments because you don't bother. It must kill you saying this. What, being nice? <laughs> as long as it's not about you, to acknowledge that people have been nice to you when normally your life is one succession of woes. <gasps> That's a bit harsh. I am you didn't harsh. even let me start. I told you I'm not a very nice person. <laughs> no, only to me. There have been compliments, and I just kind of thought I came away thinking because this kind of chemistry, <laughs> the chemistry thing. What are you doing? You're exploding. What's happening? No, to you? I just had a cough, and I held my microphone away. You're always coughing. Do you know how many coughs I edit out of this podcast? So dear listener, dear listener, thank you so much for your undivided attention, and I make your listening so much better by editing out Ben's odoriferous effluvia down the microphone. <laughs> It's okay, not a back COVID to... cough. Well, no one cares because no one could catch COVID in their ears. <laughs> They're Correct. probably sitting there behind a plastic shield anyway. I saw but this yeah. company's invented this thing which is like a clear perspex cylindrical tube that you put on your shoulders and it supposedly stops you getting COVID. I mean, I honestly thought it was a joke. It looked like you're walking around with sort of a, a 1950s something. science fiction space helmet on. It's just I insane. should really have got in there on the... You would have bulk bought a whole load of those shop screens. Or you, Actually, there's still time. Don't say that we don't help you with entrepreneurial choices here on... YDLMF, I was going to call it, because <laughs> I've got all the jargon. But um, imagine if you would have stocked up, how much you'd be making right now. How do all those shops have those? Yeah, but I mean, they just go to suppliers who are making them to order. There's there's loads of companies that have laser cutters and they have massive sheets of perspex. And you say, I need one that's, I don't know, three feet high by four feet wide and it needs indentations here to fit on my counter. And they cut it to order. So if you had a garage full of them and you said, I've, I've got these to sell, people are saying, yeah, but I don't want your crappy old ones from the garage. I want brand new ones that I can get. I don't think, I don't think you'd make a killing if you had a, a garage full of perspex sheets. Oh, well, you've just rained on my parade, but what's new? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I could be wrong. It could be that there are garage fulls of perspex that are about to that are worth more than their equivalent weight in gold. But I want to talk about listener interaction, which is cheeky, about our music and about you masquerading as a serial killer and all the other stuff that we get, all the comments that we get back I, on I t- crimes. I've said before, I love the music. I think it's so incongruously inappropriate. It's wonderful. I'm going to do my podcast corner here to say thank you to other podcasts for supporting us. Uh, Podcasts I've been listening to at the moment, not only Reverie True Crime, who chilled me with those details about the vampire, the Sacramento vampire, the Sacramento vampire, amazing, but also Always Time for True Crime, for your interaction, I've listened to you and I love you, I find you very 
uh, eminently listenable and the True Crime Society as well. So thanks very much for interacting with us and we continue to support you. There are loads of others that I forgot to mention and I've interacted with you. So don't take that to heart now. I've just made a quick mental note there and I'm going to throw out to more podcasts who we're interacting with and who are listening kindly listening and supporting and all our new followers on twitter thank you very much we're yes, following back when you're indeed. interested we're very grateful to everybody who follows us, when we can. us interacts with us and yeah we we do um, love all the other podcasts who give us a bit of a mention no you too. don't you don't listen to any okay i know i don't listen to any it's true. <laughs> you're such a shit <laughs> <laughs> you're such a liar I'm not a liar. <laughs> you are a massive liar. <laughs> oh, by the way, by the way, we had we had a, an interaction saying because I forget I'm saying interaction. I think it was an email saying, "Can we talk about the ice cream wars because of our ice our love affair with the ice cream van?" Oh yeah. Who hasn't made an appearance? Yeah. Where is the ice cream van now? It could be making a killing. It could be. Well, it's not a particularly nice day at the moment. Well, this is the, the thing is, this, the ice cream van that comes around here, for some reason, always comes at the oddest and most inappropriate times. It came around yesterday um, at about 10pm. And it's like, well, who, who is going to come out and buy ice cream at 10pm at night? Ding, 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 ding. And it's like, it's 10 o'clock at night, go away. It's always green Nobody sleeves these days. Nobody wants ice cream now. Have they got their setting on green sleeves? It's it's usually green sleeves. It does seem to be green sleeves an awful lot. Our theme tune sounds a little bit like an ice cream van. Yeah, it does. I think if I had an ice cream van, I would definitely have it playing our theme tune. <laughs> ding, 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 get your 99s here. So Can I tell you that we went somewhere to um, somewhere local with a sort of reservoir and it was all lovely and my daughter got all muddy and had a great whale of a time in the water and stuff. Um, I had the most delicious ice cream I've ever eaten. It was cool. made locally, and well, I actually, because I'm trying to, I'm trying not to be such a piggy wig at the moment. So I didn't. I just licked everyone else's ice creams, and when my daughter's got a bit because she's sitting in the back of the car with the ice cream and it's really melting. I sort of grabbed it and helped her with it, but it was made locally, and it was like with Devon cream. I've never had such a delicious ice cream. Not, I mean, in Italy, it sort of came close for a different reason. They do cream Devon like nothing else. Devon knows how they make it so creamy. Oh, you Devon let me enthuse about ice cream. Oh, Italian ice cream is much better. Come on. You've been to Italy. You know the story. There's something about the creaminess of Devon. I love this county. Oh, okay. I'm a shitty Londoner, aren't I? Yeah, you, I've just completely so, absconded and, and burnt so my on, are, are, are you saying you've, you've sort of become... An honorary Devonian. I hope so. That all depends on my uh, work circumstances, really. I mean, whether I can sort of podcast or from here, out of my chamber, aren't chamber Devonians of countryside. Are, aren't Devonians a group of ancient fossils? There was like a, a geological era, I think, known as the Devonian era. Was there? Yeah. I think it's basically trilobites and things that look a bit like... I don't know, ice cream cones with tentacles sticking out the end. Oh, what, like uh, amphibian creatures? Yeah, the, yeah, like it was the Devonian period of geology, and I'm just sort of talking off the top of my head here. It was something like, it wasn't, there wasn't like lots of life on the land, it was mostly in the water. It was, as I said, it was things like trilobites, which are like, I don't know, look at, they, they, they look a bit like horseshoe crabs with lots of little legs on the underside, and they're all about three feet long. Well, maybe that's or how I felt by the time London had finished with me. And that's what I'm doing here. Amidst <laughs> the trilobite. Seriously, I've got to say, maybe true crime is where I've ended up because I experienced... So I'm not joking, though. But you, you know the run of crime. You probably don't remember because you don't listen to me. But the um, sequence of crime I experienced before I came down here, all the baby photographs of my daughter were lost because my phone was nicked and oh, no. my computer was then nicked afterwards in a separate robbery and in both of them my cloud didn't work so back up back up back up people so i don't have any pictures of her in my own you know capacity all that time that i spent alone sort of you know with my newborn gone that well i've got a photo i've got a photo of her at benito's hat you can have that <laughs> I think I've got that photo. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's her in a kind of... I took her... I remember, like, on... I think it was the day I gave birth, if not the next day, I was out eating pizza with her in a sling. 
I went to, and actually I miss you, Franco Manca pizza. And oh, Franco Manca's lovely. I remember having to negotiate my way into one of those long wooden benches. So I had her tied around my neck in one of those sling things. And with all my stitches, I could hardly walk. I still managed to get out and try and sit on one of those picnic <laughs> benches. You could hardly walk, but you still managed to get to pizza. <laughs> that shows my that tenacity. the story of your life. When it comes to food. We digress. Yes, we do. Did you want to talk about the ice cream wars? Oh, no, I I wanted to say that somebody wanted to talk about the ice cream wars and I think it's too big a topic. Well, should we just skim it and say that there was crime going on in ice cream vans? That's amazing. I mean, this was in the 1980s in Glasgow when you had... I mean, this was actually... They were turf wars between drug dealers, but they were using ice cream vans as a front to sell drugs and stolen goods. That's amazing. These ice cream vans were going around sort of the east end of Glasgow. Ring, ding, 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 ding. That's what my mum always used to say. I wonder why. She used to say ice cream vans pizza parlours probably because she's seen too many mafia films and hairdressers and I've got to say I worked in a West End hairdressers and the drugs came with the towels oh okay they did they used to chuck them down the towel chute What the, uh, what, the drugs were, like, in, in the plastic wraps or something? Yeah, in the wrapped towels but sometimes it would just be a massive ball of hash thrown in with them okay. in, in some kind of cling film or something like, so what, the drug dealer would come in for a hairdo and then you would take No, they'd the come in to and... drop off the towels and they'd bring the drugs with the towels. Well, where did the chute lead to down which the towels were thrown? Oh, it was just a, like, mate, it, it was sort of little windowy thing where they'd chuck them through and it would, they would just end up on a chair behind the desk and then the drugs would go in the, in the drawers in the desk and then be oh. given to people who came down. But so haven't you revealed yourself as the woman who knows too much? Oh, yeah, but I was a minor, so off the hook. <laughs> you were off the hook then, but what about now? Now you've blabbed. Oh, yeah, but um, the guy who was doing it died. Okay. Oh, we'll have to have a conversation about this off tape sometime. It's fascinating. Okay, good. Glad you enjoy. So we, I love, that, I love we... the fact that you can have that kind of ding, 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 ding. Oh, Cornetto. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. here's some skag. <laughs> yeah, I'd like a 99... Um, a, a rocket ship. What, what was that one called? Oh, Fab. It was Fab, wasn't it? A rocket ship. I'd like a 99, a Fab, and a wrap of heroin, please. <laughs> and a haggis. By the way, we're going to threaten and intimidate you unless you pay us. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yes. <laughs> extortion's a good we'll one. I'd quite like fingers. to talk about extortion. Would any of our listeners like to talk about extortion? Write in. You didn't let me finish podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, what you want. And actually, Mark Williams Thomas wants to know what we want because we want him back. And if you're listening, Mark, we want you back. And the last bit, though, was when he actually turned the tables on us a bit and asked us a few questions, wasn't it? He actually goes into that in the next bit. And then we talk about Tobin and his being the... I think he said something along the lines of one of the nastiest individuals and serial killers he's ever dealt with. Yeah, I mean, Peter Tobin was disgusting. He was, you know, he would kill people. He was very violent, very controlling. You know, former partners told horrific stories about the abuse he subjected them to. He attempted to murder one. Well, we can hear all about it in what Mark talks about. But yeah, I mean, he was uh, he was an awful, awful person. Were you in Sussex when he went to cover it? He worked, I think, near Brighton for a while. And then he moved up to Margate in Kent. And, and they found two bodies buried in the garden of his house in Margate. And I watched but, that investigator since we mentioned it. I think it's in that part. And it's really interesting because there's, there's another case which he's just spoken about in the last part, which was unidentifiable as a murder and a woman was thrown off Beachy Head. So that's why I'm thinking Sussex, isn't it? And her hands were tied behind her back with a bra and it's not listed as a murder. And these other cases are just as sort of, they're sexually motivated and grim beyond belief shocking okay all right well let's hear mark talking about scott one of scotland's biggest serial killers because he believes there are more murders that have yet to come to light do you ben i don't know quite possibly i mean peter tobin was clearly an evil evil man but my understanding is that he's um very very ill now in in prison i suspect he will not be with us for that much longer Mark Williams Thomas refers to Angus Sinclair as Scotland's biggest serial killer and that comes off the back of Tobin because I think there are some crossovers with the cases but go and watch his investigator to um, 
gen up on that. So yeah, let's um, let's hear Mark Williams Thomas turning the tables on us, shall we, Ben? <laughs> Go for it. So let me ask you two some quick questions. So you've asked, oh. yeah, sure. So Ben, in your yeah. time in the in the, uh, I refer to things as being the job, but in the job, what was the probably the case that sticks in your mind the most? Well, the, a couple we've talked about already. Um, I mean, obviously, Madeleine McCann uh, was huge. And the, 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 the ones I really remember, though, were SOAM, actually, because I did spend quite a lot of time there. Um, and, you know, the trial of Ian Huntley, um, the Chillenden murders down in uh, Kent with Megan and Lynn Russell, and, of course, Josie Russell, who was severely injured in that. Um, uh, yeah, and also Peter Tobin. I did quite a lot of time down in Margate when they first started digging up his garden mm. and also then covered his trial when he was accused of uh, Dynamite Nichols' murder because um, okay. her body was found. And I mean, that was one that I don't think Victoria and I have talked about yet, but it's it was the shortest ever jury retirement. Um, his defence was... Have you proved he didn't give evidence? His lawyer stood up and spoke for 10 minutes saying, You know, all Mr. Tobin would ask me to say to you is, Are you absolutely sure the prosecution has proved the case? And that was it. And they went away and we sort of went outside and were literally called immediately back in. I mean, they must have been out for, for barely a minute or two before they came back with the unanimous guilty verdict. I mean, Peter Tobin is a. Is a is a vile, horrible person. I don't know whether you saw my second series of The Investigator, which is obviously focuses on Peter Tobin and looking at his crimes. But he is a really... I'm going to watch that tonight now. You watch it. So it looks in terms of Peter Tobin. But one of the interesting things about Peter Tobin, I've got a, a, a police interview of Peter Tobin where he's interviewed for... Uh, a number of the murders, I can't remember which one it was him being interviewed for, and his behaviour in that interview room, he gets angry, he shouts at the police, he says, I wouldn't I wouldn't put you out if you were on fire, I wouldn't piss on you. Vile, vile, horrible, horrible being. And I remember doing with, there's a, and I'll try and make this as palatable as possible, his second wife, I think it was his second wife, he... And in fact, I think it was his first wife. Sorry, his first wife. He locks her in his st in his bedsit, and one day, and he'd raped her repeatedly every day for weeks. And then one day, he decided that he was going to insert a knife, and he inserted a knife inside her, and he left her for dead. And the only reason that she was found and managed to survive is that the blood came through the floorboards of the house, of the flat and the, the person downstairs notified the ambulance service who came along. He was subsequently arrested in relation to that. Thank that you for trying type, to make that palatable. That is the type of individual. And do you know what else he did? <laughs> so that, is, that is the most outrageous thing that I've heard. And we've talked about Fred and Rose. But he goes further than yeah. that. So he then meets two young girls in Portsmouth. And he takes these two young girls back to his flat. And when he's inside his flat, he then decides... So he sexually abuses them, locks one up in the cupboard, uh, sexually abuses the other one whilst he's doing that. And then he leaves them there, drugged up, on alcohol. He puts the gas on in his apartment and leaves with the intention that the whole place would blow up. Fortunately, the person across the corridor smelt gas, called the police and the and gas board, and they got in there and fortunately didn't blow the whole place up. This is the type of individual. He is absolutely vile. I've never, and I didn't meet him, but I've never investigated a man as vile and as horrible as him. Is he responsible for more murders? Yes. Is he responsible for as many murders as being suggested? No. I think he's probably responsible for maybe one or two more murders he's not been convicted of. Um, and his offending, his MO, <clears throat> as you know, Ben, will be to bury the bodies. So rather like uh, Fred West, although not to the same degree as Fred West, he would, um, he would cut them up probably once and then he would place them into black bags, tied up black bags, and he would bury them. Uh, so I'm, there's no doubt that his offending behaviour, there are other people whose bodies have never been recovered that are buried. Uh, but he even dug up, so the, the person that he, married, he murdered up in Scotland, and I can't remember her name now, he buried her 
and then he brought her down to Kent and reburied her when he moved house. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that was bizarre, wasn't it? It was a young girl who was, I think, waiting at a bus stop in Bathgate, and he abducted yeah. her. I'm just trying to remember myself now. Yes. Where's that? Uh, Vicky something or other. Vicky, Vicky Hamilton. No. Where's Vicky Bathgate? Hamilton, yes. Yeah, Vicky Hamilton. Uh, Edin- just outside Edinburgh, I think. Watch my episode of Investigators. You go watch it tonight, and then you can report back at the next episode. I will. It's timely. Oh, I'm looking for something to watch. Yeah. So that's so that covers that case, and then also covers the case of um, Angus Sinclair, who is a who is Scotland's biggest serial killer, and he died recently, unfortunately, before giving up the location of, of a number of other victims. But uh, he. I have to say, out of all the invest- all the serial killers I've investigated, he is the biggest serial killer, and I reckon he's probably killed at least another nine or ten victims. He was off the scale during the sketch during the time of his offending behaviour. He was the worst serial killer, with the exception of Harold Shipman. He was the worst serial killer that I think the UK has had. Also, well, definitely more to be said about Angus Sinclair. So we're going to keep an eye on the Reading. Um, stabbings uh, because there'll be a lot more I might even include a note uh, a new note and an update for you depending on what comes through Um, the one aspect of that is that I don't know if listeners know that my dad uh, was born in Tripoli Libya and we are three generations at least uh, North African so a lot more should come through about that but um, I found it quite interesting because as soon as I saw that nation on Twitter, I thought, well, I wonder how much of that, because we were talking about how people's views, uh, how people are judgmental and they they impose their own value systems on these small tidbits of information. So I wonder how much that's led people to think it's terror related. Well, of course, the police said it was terror related as well. Oh, yes, obviously. But um, I wonder how many people just see that and think, OK, Libya terror. I mean, there's also a thing, I suppose, you know, Libya is a country that uh, had its leader deposed um, by the, normally during the um, Arab Spring, but, you know, let's face it, it was massively supported by the West. And has that made it a more lawless place? Has it made it a better place? It, uh, you know, a lot of these Arab countries where that went through the Arab Spring, um, Egypt, Syria, it hasn't worked out well. Well, as you say, the support was largely from the West, so you can't tell people. This is something that I've learned through experience and being sort of mixed backgrounds. You can't tell people what they want and impose that without it, especially somewhere like Libya, becoming a powder keg. You can't tell me what I want. Oh, I'm I'm quite defensive of this because I think Libya has been ruined and I'm very upset about it. I am the only one of my parents' children who hasn't returned to go and see my grandparents' graves, which were desecrated at least twice. That's horrible. But, you know, there's there's no possibility now to do that. And thanks a lot, COVID, as well. But less is the option. just can't go anywhere. Oh, talking of that, on a lighter note, you said that the, when lockdown eased, that there would be a whole bunch of crime. It's true, isn't it? That's how it seems to be working out. Yeah, I, I, I suppose I said it in a, you know, not necessarily thinking I'd be right way or hoping I wouldn't be right. But yeah, there seems to have been a whole load of it. There's been shootings in Manchester. There's been this horrific thing in Reading. And there seems to have been two sisters who were murdered in a park, albeit that was a week or so ago. Um, a couple of weeks ago, in fact. Mm. But yeah, there's been, there seems to have been a bit of a bit of a spike in crime uh, since sort of lockdown restrictions were eased. People have, have decided to rush out and do bad. Well, it was also the timing of the Black Lives Matter protests, and that, of course, with those kind of protests, then the right wing jumps on board. There's certainly been some violence down in Devon. You know, I've got my finger on the pulse of uh, of Devon Live here. You're on the money there. I definitely want to do something about miscarriages of justice, by the way. Okay. Well, that's another one, but um, I'll let the listeners decide. Oh. And that is you. So... You hate me. <laughs> you, you, the idea of me <laughs> suggesting something and you just say, yeah, that sounds great, let's do that. It's never going to happen. <laughs> oh, sorry. Have I um, emasculated you? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I don't. Luckily for me, I mean, maybe I don't define my masculinity by whether my suggestions for a podcast are adopted or not. We've been compared to 
Finbar Saunders. <laughs> Finbar Saunders and his double entendres. <laughs> yeah. So that's so you. So Finbar Saunders lives with his mum, and Miss and his mum is um, regularly having sex with I think somebody called Mister Grimlet or something. Mister um, what? Mister Grimlet, I think, <laughs> or Mister Grumlet, I can't remember. And um, <laughs> Mister Grimlet will come in and say. I've got a nice hot loaf to stick in your lover, your oven, Mrs. Saunders. And Finval will go, fnurk, fnurk. <laughs> oh, yes. And I, actually, that's harking back a few episodes because I went, I haven't lost my fnar value. I think, actually, yeah. that was another listener comment. And you went, no, I think you're, you're passable. And I was like, that's four, not fnar. I'd much Did rather be fnar with... than four. Did I damn you with faint praise? I don't know is for praise. I just said I'd much rather be Fnar. I'd much, much rather be Finbar than Kim Kardashian, who apparently is venturing into true crime podcasting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Good for her. Well, let's hope. I know. That's what, you, that's what you wrote back to that news, didn't you? I was like, why do you think that's good? I don't know. I don't really care. I'm not going to listen to it. So what do I care? Aren't you? I might force you to. Oh, that'll mean you're even less likely to listen to it. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I yes. I, I, I'm not entirely sure there is much Kim, Kim Kardashian. Is it Kate Kardashian? Well, I don't, actually, they've all merged into the same. There's so much plastic going on. You just can't tell okay. who's what. I'm not entirely sure there's much about true crime that Kay Kardashian <laughs> could tell me. Ooh, handbags. Wasn't her dad um, famously um, O.J. Simpson's lawyer? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, and I want to throw out to the paint and poet, our local poet. There's a place called P-A-I-G-N-T-O-N, round here. There's a paint and spell. It's like saying the London poet, that's London spelled L-O-N-D-O-N. Everybody knows. Yes, but I want people sitting at their computers to be able to access him because he has, he does little jaunty podcasts and uh, poetry, but it's really like uplifting and little drawings. He's he's lovely. And and he's talked to us about our ice cream van. Um, because <laughs> it's, it's caused a lot of reaction and he wants to know if one of the tweets that I put out was the actual ice cream van so everyone's going to be disappointed by the fact that it hasn't turned up so Ben if it turns up can you get your phone out record it and we will play that music into our podcast okay I'll try you need to be on right. ice cream watch oh god all right okay all right, well, anyway, that's it. Anyway, it's time, to, to, it's time to call it a day, I believe. Thank you all of you for listening and thank you, Mark Williams-Thomas, for being a great guest. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks to Mark. Thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks to everybody who's emailed us or tweeted us or whatever. And we'll be back soon. A big fuck off to everyone. Every, each and every <laughs> one of you. Foxtrot Oscar all round. <laughs>